Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. I love Christmas, it's my favorite. I guess it's a lot of people's favorite for a lot of reasons, but I love Christmas. I love everything as I step on a crushed candy cane about Christmas. Um, I like all the, all, the, all the fun, cheesy stuff about Christmas. I like the decorations, I like the trees, I like the ornaments, I love putting lights up. I love the stockings, even though we currently don't have a mantle. And for those of you that don't know that, that know that, leave me alone. We've been redoing our fireplace for like nine months now. Uh, but, but I still love putting up stockings eventually when we get to do that. I love all of that. I even love the, um, the, the cheesy Hallmark Christmas movies. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. They're so good because they're so bad. You know what I mean? Like. You just can't turn away, and I don't care what you think about me. I love them. Candace Cameron, the queen of Christmas. Um, she's the girl from Full House, a DJ. Anyways, I love all of that. I love all the food that I get to eat. I don't even do creamer in my coffee, but during Christmas time, I do the holiday creamers just because. I don't even like peppermint, but I eat candy canes. Like, I, you know, like there's just, there's something about all of the fun and Christmas, and for me, I'm getting to see it through some new eyes because my daughter this year, I mentioned her earlier, like she's starting to understand more when we first turned on our Christmas tree, her response, she literally goes, you know, she can't really talk yet. She can say a few words, but we turn on the Christmas night and she goes, oh, wow. <laughs> I was like, man, I should have recorded that. Such a failure of a parent. Um, but it was so cool. Like it was just so magical. And she just stared at it and she wants to like touch every single ornament. And it's so cute, but also gets really annoying after 10 minutes. But, but she loves it. And she just sat and she stared at the tree and she stares at the tree. There's so many things about Christmas that I love, but I want you to, and maybe for you it's the same, but I just want you to imagine for just a moment with me, I want you to imagine like the Grinch came through, right? I want you to imagine for just a minute, like all the things that we love about Christmas are just stripped away. Like just almost imagine, almost imagine, and it's almost kind of hard to, but imagine your house or, you know, the stores around here, even our church, and, and we're doing Christmas and there's no lights anywhere, like there's no trees anywhere, there's no wreaths anywhere, there's no coffee creamer that isn't just straight half and half anywhere, um, like there isn't Hallmark Christmas movies, there isn't any of that, it's all just stripped away. The Grinch came in, did his thing, and it was all gone. And Cindy Lou Who was crying, it was all just gone. And as I thought about this, I literally thought about it, literally I sat in my kitchen at, at, our, at our countertop and I tried to imagine doing Christmas without any of that. In my immediate reaction, I was, oh, something would really be missing. Like, it just wouldn't feel right if you just stripped away all the things that just seemed to bring me joy during Christmas. But I forced myself to think about it, and here's why. Because at the first ever Christmas, there was something that caused joy, and it had nothing to do with lights. Like that very first Christmas, there was great cause for joy and celebration, and there wasn't cheesy Hallmark Christmas movies. There was great joy and cause for joy and cause for celebration, and there was nothing that we connect to Christmas, and there were no decorations, and there was not what we call Christmas today. But the people that experienced that first Christmas were filled with joy, in fact, Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, he uh, interviewed all these eyewitnesses and, and he ended up writing this account of Jesus' life called the Gospel of Luke. 
And he tells the birth story of Jesus, and you've probably heard the beginning of the story, and then I want to get to the part that I want to focus on, but Caesar Augustus, who's basically running the world, at this point, he wants a census to be taken, and so you got to go to your hometown to fill out a census, and so Mary and Joseph, who are married, Joseph stayed with her, um, and she's pregnant with Jesus, and they've got to make the trek to Bethlehem, and so she's riding on donkey back, pregnant, probably not a pretty scene, to Bethlehem. They get to Bethlehem. There's no room at the Marriott. There's no room at the Hilton, so they've got to stick to that, you know, super Eight, Motel 6, whatever it is that you see. Some of y'all probably stayed there. You probably shouldn't. It's not good for you, nor safe. But, um, and so uh, they had to stay there, and it was this kind of outdoor stable, and they got like a horse to the right, and a, and, a, and a pig over here to the left, and an ox over here eating hay, and then Jesus is born there that night, Luke tells us, and he's wrapped in cloths, and he's placed in a manger. There's nothing pretty about it. There's nothing uh, magical about it, but here this Baby was born, and then Luke tells us, and I just want you to hear this, chapter two, verse eight. And after that happened, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified, as it should, if you ever see an angel, it should scare you. In fact, if you tell me you saw one, I wouldn't believe you. But, um, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. I bring you, I'm here to proclaim to you good news, great news, world-changing news that what will cause great joy for all people. It's gonna cause great joy for you. It's gonna cause great joy for the world. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And so the shepherd, they, they, they're initially terrified. Then they hear this and they immediately go. And they go and find Mary and they find Joseph and they find baby Jesus in this manger and they're blown away. In fact, after they go visit with them, they immediately start going to tell people what they had seen and what they had heard from God. That for them, it was this moment, this awesome moment, this awestruck moment, and they couldn't get enough. And, and, and here's what I want you to do for just a moment. I want you to try to look at it through their eyes, because for us, and if you've been around church for a while, you know, okay, Jesus, he grows up and he does all these things. But I just want you to imagine for a moment, we're talking about a baby here. Like Jesus hasn't done any miracles yet. He hasn't done anything crazy yet. He hasn't died on the cross yet. He hasn't resurrected from the grave yet. He's a, he's a, he's a baby. What about this baby? Like, I want you to imagine, they don't know what, they did not know what we know now. Like, what were they thinking? What were they seeing? What was it about this baby that caused great joy for them? What was it about this baby that caused great joy ultimately for all people? They knew nothing else, but they were told that the Savior, the Messiah, was born. What about this baby? What did they know? What's crazy is this actually isn't the first uh, birth announcement of Jesus. Believe it or not, this is going to sound crazy, but 700 years prior to this event, 700 years prior to Luke chapter two when it happened, not when it was written, but 700 years prior to Jesus being born, 
and laid in a manger, there was a prophet who lived in Israel named Isaiah that prophesied about the birth of Jesus. He actually proclaimed and, and pronounced the birth of Jesus before it ever happened. In fact, 700 years before it ever happened. Isaiah was a prophet in Israel and he was a prophet during a pretty rough time for the nation of Israel when they were kind of getting bullied and threatened by this nation, this superpower called Assyria. And so Isaiah is prophesying to Israel about this savior, this king that's going to come to give them hope for a future. And I wanna look at what Isaiah said and how he prophesied about this baby because any Jewish person would have had this in the back of their minds. Any Jewish person would have known, would have thought about, okay, when this savior comes, it's not gonna be just any ordinary baby. And when you see and when we can look together at how Isaiah prophesied about this coming savior, it will illuminate to you and to me why that proclamation in Luke chapter two was such a big deal and why before they knew anything else about what Jesus would do, why it caused great joy to all people. And my hope tonight is that you might see Jesus in the birth of Jesus in a way like never before because just like the shepherds knew it, even though nothing had happened yet, this was no ordinary child. Isaiah, 700 years prior, says this in Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. This is crazy. 700 years, he says, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. He's going to be a king. And he will be called, and he gives him four names. This one that will come, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. One name wasn't enough to describe this child. One name wasn't enough because this child was special. Isaiah calls him wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace, and he's talking about Jesus. Now, what you need to understand is Isaiah did not expect for people to call Jesus these things when he walked the earth, you know? It's like he's sitting in class, and the teacher's like, uh, mighty God, here, you know, like, it wasn't, oh, hey, Jesus, everlasting father, good to see you. Like, it wasn't, like, they didn't call him these things, and, and the intention was never for them to call him these names. Here's what Isaiah was doing. Isaiah was telling the world way before it ever happened that the one that was to come would be worthy of these names. That he was going to be worthy of these magnificent and majestic and big titles. He was going to be worthy of these names because it is no ordinary child that is to be born. He was defining what his character would be, who he would be and what he would do for the world, this was no ordinary child. He calls him a wonderful counselor. That his understanding and his wisdom would transcend all human understanding and wisdom. That, that he, his ways would be higher and greater than our ways. That his filter on how to live life was gonna be drastically different and far greater than humans' filter on how to live life best that some of his teachings seemed so countercultural when Jesus walked on this earth, that he told us that there's actually strength and weakness. Well, how is that possible? Well, it's because whenever we are weak, then God is strong in us and through us. He taught us that um, in surrender, there's victory. How? Because when we surrender our lives to Jesus, we share in the victory that he had over sin and death. He taught that in death, there is life. How? 
Jesus? Well, because when we die to ourselves and say no to ourselves and say yes to Jesus, we find life. That Jesus, you ever had this camp counselor that you spent some time with, maybe a summer with, maybe a weekend with, maybe a week with, and they spent time with you and they taught you things and they guided you and they helped you. Jesus, our wonderful counselor, here's what he came to do and here's what he wants to do. He wants to guide you. He wants to lead you. He wants to grow you. Following Jesus in just isn't just like some fun metaphorical way to talk about having a relationship with Jesus. It's quite literal. He wants to stretch you. He wants to give you purpose. And he wants to guide you down walking through life where you're making decisions that lead to life and a lot less regret. Wonderful counselor, Isaiah said. And it's just so ironic, if you will, that later on in the Gospel of John, Jesus would call himself the way, the truth, and the life. Because he's the way, the truth, and the life. This was no ordinary child. Wonderful counselor. He called him mighty God. That, that Jesus, he's this, took on flesh and he's a baby, but he never stopped being God. There was never a moment when Jesus walked on earth where he stopped being God. Jesus was always God in a way that we can't fully understand, was fully human and fully God at the same time, which means he always has been God. The power and the strength of God is his because he is God so that when we are weak, when we are struggling, when we are distressed, whatever you might be walking through, whatever you might be struggling with through this Christmas season, when you are weak, he is your strength. He is my strength because he is mighty God. You remember uh, the scene in The Lion King? Simba and Nala flirting, you know, like make out and stuff and and they sneak away, they're way too young to make out, but then they would sneak away and, they, and they, they went to the elephant graveyard. Do you remember this? Even though Zazu told them, don't do it. That was his name, right? The parrot or parrot, toucan. And he said, don't go there, but they went anyway. And so they stumble into the elephant graveyard and they're running around the elephant graveyard and they run to the hyenas. And so they start running from the hyenas in the elephant graveyard and then they get cornered. And the hyenas are about to like eat him and Simba tries to get all big, you know, cause he's got Nala with him. He's like, yeah, let me show him what's up, Nala, here we go. And he tries to roar and it's like a roar, you know? <laughs> it's like, Simba, don't do that, bro. They're definitely gonna eat you now, you know? But he's like, I'm gonna go again. And, and, he, and, he, and he like rears back and he's gonna try one more time. And when you saw the movie for the first time, he lets out this mighty, powerful roar. But you quickly learn that it wasn't Simba and Mufasa. Love you. Um, every time, y'all. Every time. It's my dog. Um, Mufasa jumps in from off screen from behind Simba and Nala and takes this hopeless desperate situation and he saves their lives because they were never alone. I have this mental picture here when I think about God as a mighty God, our strength when we are weak, with us when we can't, the mighty roar when we can't muster up very much ourselves. 
Let me just tell you, don't let the meekness of the manger, don't let the meekness and the smallness of a baby in a manger fool you. Yes, Jesus, listen, he humbled himself and he took on flesh and he took the form of a baby and he came to do that, to put us before himself. But please don't ever get it twisted. He never stopped and will never stop being mighty God with you and for you. And I love what he calls him next. And he says, everlasting father. He talks about this big, powerful, he's mighty God, but he's everlasting father. Now, real quick, he's not talking about God the father. Again, he's describing Jesus's character and it is one of an everlasting father. This big, mighty God who also desires a personal relationship with you. He loves you. He cares for you. He desires a relationship with you, that his love is extravagant and it is endless. That Christianity is not transactional. Christianity is relational. That Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is about a relationship. That Jesus desires a relationship with you, that he wants to walk with you, that he wants to spend time with you, that he wants to do life with you. He wants to speak to your heart and you're never alone. An everlasting father that is never absent, that when you don't feel loved, you can be confident that you have love in your savior. That when you feel all alone, you can be confident that he's always with you, that he promised his disciples and he promised you and me that he is with us to the very end of the age, everlasting father, forever there, forever that we can depend on. He is with you and he is with me and he loves you. This was no ordinary child. This was no ordinary baby, everlasting father. And then the last one, prince of peace. And I love that it ends on this one because this is kind of like the climax of, all of them, that Jesus came, Jesus came in order to create peace, and don't miss this, between us and God and also us and other people. That there's this ugly thing called sin that stood in the way, that got in the way between us and a relationship with our heavenly father. Our sin made us incompatible with God. In fact, in Romans, Paul says that our sin made us enemies of God. But Jesus came. The Prince of Peace came to take on the sin that we committed, to take on the death that we deserved, and he died for our sin. He died in our place so that whenever you would put your faith in Jesus, you would have peace with God, that he reconciled us and God. He died so that we could have peace with God and live in relationship with God. And you did nothing to earn it. I did nothing to earn it which means you did nothing to lose it and you can never do anything to lose it. That you, because of Jesus, through Jesus can have peace with God. If you've ever wondered if God is mad at you, you need to hear me, he's not. If you've ever wondered if you're too far gone for God, you need to know that you're not. Because the prince of peace's work changed everything because he made peace between us and God. But not only that, Jesus would later on to go on and teach that the barometer of our love for God and our peace with God would be the kind of peace and love we had for the people that we saw face to face every single day. 
that the New Testament, Jesus teaches us that you cannot love God, you cannot have peace with God if you are not at peace and love those around you. That Jesus said, you are to love as I have loved you that he showed us a new way, that great love should flow through us as a response to greater love that came for us. The Prince of Peace did that, that his message is I'm gonna be for you, not against you, which means our message to the world, your message to the world, the church's message to the world is we are for you, not against you. The Prince of Peace did that, peace with God and peace with others. This was no ordinary child, this was the Prince of peace. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is Wonderful counselor. He is mighty God. He is everlasting father. He is the prince of peace, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. It's why we celebrate Christmas and why we commemorate Christmas every year. And maybe for you, Christmas isn't much to celebrate because life around you isn't great or things around you isn't great. But what we cling to in what caused great joy back in the first century and what I hope and pray will cause great joy for you and for me this Christmas season is that this was no ordinary birth and this was no ordinary child. It was a savior who was called Wonderful Counselor and he wants to guide you. It was a savior who was everlasting father and he wants to love you. It was a savior who was called mighty God and he wants to fight for you. It was a savior who was the prince of peace and he came to save you. It's why we celebrate Christmas and it's what caused great joy for them and what I hope and pray will cause great joy for you. It was no ordinary baby. It was no ordinary birth. And he changed everything. You guys have these um, candles under your chairs or wherever it is. You're not gonna eat just yet, but you can go ahead and grab it. In just a moment, we're gonna stand and we're gonna sing a song together. And, and there'll come a point where you don't have to do anything, we'll light the candles for you, but we're gonna light these candles. And, and what I want this light, and what we hope this light represents, and what, what, tonight the light is going to represent, it's going to represent Jesus. And it's going to represent that, hey, this was no ordinary birth, this was no ordinary child, no, no, this was somebody, a savior who came to bring light into the darkness, to bring hope into the hopeless, to bring peace into the peaceless of your life. And and for some of you, when you light that candle later, I want you to think about what that candle represents for you. Maybe that candle represents a time when God came through for you this past year. Uh, That candle might represent hope that you found in Jesus that you weren't able to find anywhere else. Maybe for some of you, it might represent this darkness that Jesus has brought you through, that the wonderful counselor has led you out of. 
Maybe for some of you, the light might represent that you putting your faith in Jesus for the first time this semester or this year is something that you did, and maybe that's what that light represents. But as we sing this next song and when we go into this next song, here's what I hope you would do is that I hope that you would see Jesus in a new way. I hope that you might see Jesus in a fresh way. I hope you would understand that this isn't just kind of some funny, some fairy tale of a story and we're just kind of, you know, we tell the Christmas story because it's what you do and it's neat and it's a nativity scene and it's pretty and it's awesome. No, 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 this wasn't an ordinary birth. There was a God who came and he's mighty God, everlasting father, wonderful counselor and prince of peace. And if I could, and I'm gonna go ahead and invite the band out here. There might be some of you in the room tonight. You've never put your faith in Jesus before. That maybe for you, this kind of just has been a Christmas story. It's just what you do. In fact, maybe you came to church tonight because it's just what you do. Or maybe you wanted free dinner, which is great, and I hope you keep going back. That's awesome. But, but, but maybe for you, it's never been real. That maybe for you, um, you hearing about the Prince of Peace and what he did for you is brand new news for you. And so tonight, here's what I just wanna do. I wanna give you an opportunity to put your faith in Jesus for the first time if you've never done that before. The fact that Jesus died for our sins and then he rose from the grave three days later to save us so that we could live in right relationship with God. You can't earn it. He just did it because he loves you. And if you're in the room and that's you, if you've never put your faith in Jesus before and you feel like God is stirring something in your heart, here's what I'm gonna do for just the next moment. I wanna lead you through a prayer. And if you wanna put your faith in Jesus tonight, I just wanna help lead you through a prayer. The prayer isn't magic and the prayer doesn't save you. It's just a way to help you verbalize what God is already doing in your heart all on his own. So if you've never put your faith in Jesus tonight, I just want you to repeat this prayer after me. And we're just gonna go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes. And if it's yet you tonight, if, 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 if the Prince of Peace, if something about that makes sense to you and you surrender your life to the one that came to die for you, I just want you to repeat this after me. Heavenly Father, I confess that I am a sinner in desperate need of a savior. I believe that Jesus's work on the cross was enough to save me from my sin. And I wanna spend my life following Jesus as best as I can. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we are grateful for Christmas. And we are grateful that we get to celebrate the coming of a savior that came to save us all, to bring hope and light to the world. I pray in these next few moments, Father, that you would remind our hearts of the beauty of what you did when Jesus came. I pray you would open our eyes and refresh our hearts to who you are, that you're always with us, that your love is greater than anything we could ever face. And you did something for us that we could never do on our own, which was to save us from our sin. And for that, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.